Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Joe, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, man. He's an author of a new book, uh, Tinfoil Hat Not Included. Why don't you include it? Is it too much money to send it in the mail? Yeah, I know. Maybe I'll do a, uh, I'll do a, 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 a raffle or something, get a free tinfoil hat. Uh, yes, this is the book. I'm very excited. Hard copy. I'm going to get some more of these things. Uh, but uh, yeah, tinfoil hat not included. It is my um, uh, exploration into conspiracies as uh, a concept and also how they are used in, in real life, basically. Are you finally going to make it to the point where we can actually talk about conspiracies without people rolling their eyes and labeling everything that just sounds so far-fetched a conspiracy? I'm trying. I'm trying. I mean, that's kind of been my whole like focus since I got into this thing um, is to, well, originally my idea was to apply sort of academic standards to conspiracies. And, um, and what I realized is that a lot of researchers do apply those kind of um, uh, standards and have done very, very good work. Um, but it doesn't matter because in the outside world, um, things are labeled as such. It's like, you know, it's like I, I studied Bigfoot, right? Um, I, I'm not saying I study Bigfoot, but I mean, just to, as an example, let's say somebody studies Bigfoot, your immediate reaction is, you know, oh my God, you know, with Bigfoot. But when you break it down, like Bigfoot is not like some bizarre thing, right? It's just the uh, idea that there's an animal uh, that lives in an area that we don't go into very often and that we find very, very difficult to get there. Um, and then they leave tracks. Um, and so, you know, the tracks don't, maybe they're bear tracks or maybe they're coo whatever. Like there's all these arguments about it, but the existence of Bigfoot in itself is no weirder than say the existence of a coelacanth, which was supposed to be a, a fish that died out millions of years ago. Uh, except it turns out that it swims around in Brazil and it's still alive. And it was, or the the discovery of the panda, you know, that's thing. So as a, as a concept, in other words, there's nothing actually that strange about animals being discovered. We discover them all the time. But Bigfoot is ridiculous because basically everyone in society has agreed that Bigfoot is ridiculous. The same thing happens with stuff like the Kennedy assassination. It's just, it's like a no-go area. You're not supposed to investigate that. You're not supposed to apply any standards to it because it's inherently absurd. How did they get it ingrained into our heads that whenever someone says the word conspiracy or a topic, it's labeled conspiracy, people just give up and go away. Like you would think pe people like fantasy stuff, people like nonfiction or not nonfiction, people like things that are like fairy tales. You know, they read books that are all, you know, about love and vampires and all that type of stuff. But when, as soon as this word comes up of conspiracy, 
and it's anything like that, they just go, oh, this information, if I even learn anything about it, it's not real. So there's no point in even diving into it. And I'm like, that's the first time. I don't know when that got brainwashed into us, but there are real conspiracies. We know that's real legal language. There are things to question, but now conspiracy has hit a point to where it's even questions of critical thinking. Like it's when I mentioned to you on your first episode, the double standard aspect of like the Kennedy assassination and the MLK assassination. If you would say that there was a program by the government, J. Edgar Hoover uh, in particular, that was invading Black Panther parties and making them basically radicalized and attack each other, um, making them super paranoid, everyone can get on board of that because there's a track record history of that happening and we have documents to back it up but then if you say i don't know if you said said it to any other thing that might not be a society issue and that's what i say it's the double standard it's like we can agree that it can happen to one particular race because there's a track record for it but it wouldn't happen to another thing and i noticed that with the jfk assassination and the mlk assassination there are people that also research the jfk assassination and the mlk assassination but if you said the government you know killed martin luther king People be like, okay, yeah, and they wouldn't challenge it. But then the JFK one, it's like they challenge it immediately. It's like, why? It's like it's it's not that far fetched. I mean, MLK and JFK were both great men. One was a president. One was a giant civil rights leader. And you just get into this aspect of like you, you can't have that double standard. If you pick what topics you can agree with most, it's like what is that? Now that's a flimsy topic. That's not something that's set set in stone. So that means you should question it. And that's when you see it gets labeled as a conspiracy. Well, and that all started, of course, in the in the sixties. And um, Randy Benson's film, The Searchers, has a really good section on this about the um, the creation of the idea of conspiracy theory and how it's related to a specific CIA document that came out after. Uh, the JFK assassination and actually named Mark Lane by name. Mark Lane, of course, being the most prominent early researcher who wrote the book uh, Rush Judgment and had offered to be Oswald's lawyer. Um, the CIA was aware of him and actually, like I say, named him as this is a person that we need to attack uh, with propaganda um, because, you know, he makes he makes some good points so we need to counter those um but it 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 it's not really the beginning because propaganda operations of course go back way beyond that and there have been other um demonstrated failures of the conspiracy denial i mean the most the, the one that immediately comes to mind is j edgar hoover of course very famously said that the mafia didn't exist um, and it's because they had various agreements uh, to allow certain aspects of organized crime to do its thing, you know, in the interests of, of business. And Hoover looked the other way on that stuff. Uh, so, but Hoover did believe very strongly in the communist conspiracy, uh, which essentially did not exist in the United States. Uh, the Communist Party never got uh, all that many people involved in it or, or uh, aligned to it. And one of the funniest things that emerged about the, the so-called communist conspiracy is that uh, something like half of the known communists that were enrolled were all their FBI agents. And the communists, the, the leaders knew who those FBI agents were because they were the ones who paid their dues. You know, and, and uh, so it was so heavily infiltrated that there was essentially, you know, and they had no power anyway. 
but uh, but the mafia mafia definitely existed so there's there are all those things and they they have to most of the time it has to do with you are protecting your self-image your ego which is tied to the place that you live and with all the other thing we got you know the eagle and the flag and all of the the different things that you know saying the pledge of allegiance in the morning when you're a kid um very hard to break through that programming well it's the reason why transparency is so important and why i think when you if you look at the jfk assassination and if the if it does come out that the government killed jfk or if it's anything even if it's just secrets that they're keeping for national security issues of what they label if that does come out that the issue is like it's like a house of cards if you if that comes out with the JFK assassination, that doesn't just make them question even more about the MLK assassination or the RFK assassination or other assassinations later down the road. But what it does do is makes them look into things that were already justified and everyone agreed with that, that that was the final conclusion. And that means that they opened up the scab and all that pus starts coming out. So that's the real fear, which is why there's so much like document postponing. There's so much on there. It goes, whatever that they're hiding, whatever happened back then, is something that is very damaging. And you can see that later, even in the 2021 release, when they show uh, Garrison's investigation. Now, I have not studied Garrison. I just feel like you don't really need him to complete the giant picture to the, just getting people on the level of conspiracy. Um, but if you look at what they're saying about him, Garrison's attempts to embarrass the agency, do you, does that sound like a government that's working for the people? Or does that sound like a government that considers you a nuisance or a, an ant? And when they start viewing you that way, do you think they're not just going to have a fun field day with whatever they want to do to get their mission across or their objective across everything, even with Blakey Stokes told him, you know, the aspect of maintain these people's reputations when they were alive, you know, so if you do come across a scandal, if you do come across this, know that you're only damaging that person's reputation and you don't want to do that to Kennedy. I mean, he was killed in Dallas and it's like, so you put that in a person's head. When they're looking for documents and they're trying to understand, you're going to hinder that investigation. They're going to be thinking about that. Should I expose this to the public or should I just say this isn't really an important document? You can keep it classified. And it could be very crucial. Yeah. And there's, there's I mean, we've seen that um, there are specific aspects to the propaganda um, that are very heavy handed and that are not subtle at all. And one example of this, for example, in the uh, Martin Luther King assassination, um, Hoover, there's a, there's a memo in which Hoover says, uh, you know what, let's get somebody to write a friendly book about this whole thing, about the FBI and Martin Luther King. And uh, why don't we go to maybe Reader's Digest, and then he suggests an author, um, Gerald Frank, that book did get written like so that happened so this memo hoover says we need an a friendly fbi uh, or a, a, a book that is friendly towards the fbi and their pursuit of martin luther king's killer um allegedly and we here's the guy we can get to do it and that guy does in fact do it uh, his name is gerald frank it's it's a book called an american death and it's not completely useless, actually, um, because Gerald Frank actually, it's this whole notion of evidence against interest, right? Gerald Frank is generally trying to paint the picture uh, of how great the FBI is in, in chasing after James L. Ray. Uh, but there are a couple of things that he 
says that are pretty interesting in terms of the of the king case in general um and that's we're going a little far afield but the point the major point is in in as far as this conversation goes is that we actually can establish that not only does propaganda happen but there are specific individuals that are actually named in these documents i think when you look at propaganda techniques i think that's a really easy start because everyone knows what propaganda is but when you look into conspiracies you find that everyone has either i don't know if it's a moral line i mean coming from a ph philosopher's angle like you told me that in your first episode you kind of tackle it more of a philosophy kind of aspect to the assassination but it's either a moral angle or it's just an education angle and it's the aspect of have you learned about prior events where this has happened before and the general public and especially my generation and probably a lot of people are only considered or worried about the future or worried about what's happening in their life right now. And that makes it harder. And I think when you start talking, like I've talked to a lot of historians now, and I've kind of gotten a different aspect of things, um, you start kind of looking and seeing, okay, there's so much of this that is just happening again, but in a different form. Like, I believe that like, if we talk about the government working with the media or something of that sort, I mean, the military industrial complex is a, is a real thing. But when we look at the things that happen today, I mean, even with news reporting, if the media is still captured, but they just blame it on left wing and they blame it on right wing, which I think is good because these people are now still being able to talk about it before they would have just said, oh, this didn't happen or this doesn't exist or that would have never happened. But now it's like, oh, this is from Donald Trump or this is from Biden or this is from that. So at least it's still the message is actually getting out there. It's not being cut off and displayed with a fake coverage or something like that. But it's trying to get people to that level of like, I think you need to question everything. And that doesn't mean like everybody's real. I mean, people say that, you know, I live in my own reality. That's fine. But you got to look at like, what is like really so far fetched, you can't believe find what that is and try and search in the past and see if it has existed before. And that's when I bring up like live cancer cell injections. That sounds crazy, but then I'm talking to a guy who studied Holmesburg prison, and in his documentary, they mention at an Ohio um, penitentiary, they're injecting prisoners with live cancer cells. Now, people can believe that because they have this society like linked to prisoners being abused and their rights not being treated as humans. So it's like, okay, so that could happen to anybody, though, and then you come across a freaking heart attack gun in the CIA, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of James Bond stuff that people don't realize actually existed, like the, the ice bullets and the heart attack gun. And this is back in the 70s. So 50 years ago, they had this crap. So God only knows what they have now. Um, you probably, over the last probably 20 years or so, there's been a lot of um, fairly mainstream articles written about sonic weapons that are deployed against protesters um, that make people sick and blow out their eardrums and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, there's a, the, the, the reality is, is that there's a whole bunch of technology out there that we are simply not aware of. Um, and if you ask, you know, certain researchers, they'll tell you, well, you know, the, the, we're always 50 years ahead in terms of technology as, as to what is actually, um, used in the world. Um, and there's certainly plenty of anecdotal individual stories of people who have designed things or created things and then been destroyed by the government. I mean, Wilhelm Reich is kind of the obvious one, but there's, there's been a number of, of people over the years who have made discoveries and then found themselves uh, 
in, uh, you know, in prison or worse uh, as a result of those. In the United States, which, which most people understand that this happens in other countries, they don't think that it happens here. And of course it does. What's some common tactics that people would label as a conspiracy when really it's something that you should look into? Like you're, you're able to notice that little bit of messaging or whatever something gets labeled. Like whenever I hear someone mention Jan 6 or I hear somebody mention QAnon or I hear, like there's this weird thing in our media, in our society where they mention Trump like on everything and they mention past presidents and it's like, Christ, move on. Like, I, I'm not I'm not defending any of that. But it's like when I hear Kamala Harris say, like, you know, Jan six was as worse as 9-11 or when it's like that. I'm like, what are we talking about here? Like, I'm not political. Like, I'm not a left or a right person. I'm probably more independent. But it's just that aspect of like, dude, what do you do? Like, why does everyone keep digging up the past, going back to and grabbing it and acting like we're going to translate? I mean, I get the relevancy in some aspects, but it's like they keep bringing it up and it's something that we're always going to remember. It's always going to not nine 11. I mean, just Jan six, just stupid stuff where it's like, that doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. And then they feed the public this idea of like, don't worry tomorrow, there could be another Jan six. So make sure if you have any Republican and it's just like, what are we talking about? Well, a lot of people blame that um, on the 24 hour news cycle that was basically created in the 80s by Ted Turner, uh, who started out with CNN, um, because you have to have, if you're going to have news on 24 hours, um, you got to have something to report on. Uh, you know, there's a good film called uh, Nightcrawler with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal that's about kind of the it leads, it bleeds, and the guy starts basically creating news so that he can go and. Um, and there's something to that. And there's also something to the fact that the, the average uh, American um, now knows so little about everything that you basically, you almost have to pitch it like world championship wrestling, um, which is what our debates kind of look like. You have like a uh, somebody who's supposed to be on the left and they never are actually on the left, but anyway, they're, they're on the left and, you know, they're saying a bunch of outrageous stuff, you know, Trump sucks, you know, I hate Trump, you know, Trump is a disaster. Trump. And all those things are true. Um, but this is not like corruption is only on one side of the table as the FTX collapse will tell you because FTX uh, donated more money to the democratic party than anybody except George Soros. And that was, you know, a huge, it was basically Enron, you know, that was, a, it was a, it's like the, the Democratic Party version of the Enron situation where this totally corrupt business uh, generates a bunch of money, gives it to one particular party, and then like utterly you know, collapses in flames because they weren't actually producing anything. Um, and this kind of stuff happens all the time. And people don't understand it because they don't have any they don't have a context for anything. You know, there's most, I've seen statistics, there's like an outrageous percentage of Americans who have never traveled like outside the country. Like it's, you know, um, and barely have traveled inside the country. And so they've never had to deal with anything different, you know, different people, different views, different anything. So they believe basically what they remember from their high school education, which isn't a whole lot. And so it's no wonder that people don't understand these things. And if, and if you are, uh, you're living in the United States and the United States says, 
this is the thing that we all need to agree on and it's on every channel. It's very hard to break away from that and say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to look at something else. And then the other problem, which you, you identified already with like QAnon is that you, you have to be able to maintain this middle position, which is why, again, why I like philosophy, right? You are looking at the world and you're trying to devise what the evidence is for particular stances, independent of the propaganda, but you're also not trying to create an alternate reality game in which you're going to say that JFK Jr. is really alive. Like at that point, you know, you've lost the plot, right? You're starting to just, you know, well, you know, maybe there's dragons and maybe there's Superman and maybe, you know, like you're, you're believing all this stuff that has, doesn't have anything to do with anything because you've, you've gone past that point. So the idea is to try to maintain this middle position where you're looking at things, looking at the facts flat on and trying to figure out what's going on based on that and not based on other information. So I'm a conspiracy theorist, right? Quote, unquote. Not because I believe that everything is a conspiracy or that I believe that there are lizard people or whatever, but simply because I've noticed that there are actual conspiracies that have occurred. And unfortunately, in taking a look at various different events, I have found that they are conspiracies. There's no other way to explain it. And, you know, the Kennedy assassination is certainly one of them. Um, and so I have, to, I have to go where the facts lead me. And that's the bottom line. What's your drawing line? Like, what's the line that you can't, that you would label a real fantasy or what people would consider a conspiracy? Um, I think when it gets into the point of um, where you're less reliant on specific evidence and you're telling a story. I think most of the time when conspiracy theories go bad, it's because they're telling a specific story. And I think those are the most useless books where somebody's like, um, and, and over the years, I've had a number of people contact me and they say, well, you know, I was in New Orleans and I met Sam Giancana and there was this thing and I was a gambler and everything. And it becomes this whole, and it's like, I mean, that's all fine. That's, and if we can verify some of that, great. But most of the time that is going to lead nowhere where someone is just telling you this story. I don't wanna know a story. What I would like to see is some documentation or some witness statements or something that points me in a direction where I know where I'm going. Um, you know, it's like a, if you were studying a Loch Ness Monster, um, you're gonna want specific data about, you know, is it even possible that this Brontosaurus or whatever the hell it's supposed to be. I don't know anything about the Loch Ness much. Uh, you know, uh, is it possible that there's something that could be alive in there that it has those attributes? Um, have people seen it and documented it? Sort of, you know, those are the things that are going to be compelling. But until you get something, some type of evidence, it's just, well, maybe there's a Loch Ness monster in there and maybe there isn't. I, I can't do anything with that. Right? And, and a lot of people come to this um, I've had so many people come to me and say, uh, like, for example, Lyndon Johnson, like, you know, Lyndon Johnson killed the president. I'm like, well, <laughs> to say something that flatly and simply, as you well know now, having now looked at this for a few months, it's just, it, no, like, that's not what happened. Like, that's, you, you have to look at 
4,000 other things before you come to a conclusion like that. And this is not to say that Lyndon Johnson wasn't involved or didn't know or anything like that, but it's just, it's not going to be clue. It's not going to be so-and-so with the candlestick in the conservatory. It's just not going to be that. Okay. And, and it's not, it's always these institutions. And by the way, different institutions have different alliances at different times. They don't always agree with one another, which is part of the reason that the Kennedy assassination is such a mess because Hoover, for example, is protecting the FBI's interest, whatever that may be, right? There are people who have speculated that um, because Oswald was an FBI informant and had an FBI informant number, which the uh, Texas attorney general supplied into the record, that uh, Hoover had sent Oswald in to spy on the CIA, you know, or whatever. Um, I mean, maybe, but it does mean that the FBI has a flank to protect just like everybody else. So that's what makes it such a morass because different people may be protecting different things. Like, and Richard Nixon is a great example, right? H.R. Haldeman, his aide, wrote in his book that whenever Richard Nixon said the whole Bay of Pigs thing, that he was referring to the Kennedy assassination, which makes sense. That's reasonable. Okay. But then the inference is, therefore, Nixon was involved in the Kennedy assassination. And that's what he's protecting. Well, we don't know that, right? Nixon may well have been involved or known something or whatever. That's all possible. But we don't actually know that because we don't know specifically what Nixon's concern is with the whole Bay of Pigs thing. It's more, in other words, it's more complicated than it seems. It is, um, I would say, a point of evidence to say that Nixon is protecting something. I don't think we can then say, well, he's definitely protecting one or the other things. There's a lot of peculiar things we have to stir through before we can say something like that. 63 in Dallas was probably the weirdest time of just a, com a conglomeration of events that were happening that there's, I mean, everyone's got a little bit of weight into their arguments on some things. I think with Nixon's involvement was that before he was elected, when he was going against Kennedy, before he lost, there was this deal of the Watergate plumbers, the same people he was basically hiring to go kill Castro, do this regime change thing. And, um, the the receipt that was in whoever got arrested it said Banco International or something of that sort and what happened was he was using that if they assassinated Castro if the plans worked then he was going to use that and be like that was me that did it because they were already talking like Nixon was going to be president nobody thought Kennedy was going to win in that aspect and one of the guys I, I don't remember if it's Giancana or if it was Traficante but he said I need the president to sign off on this so I need him to I need to know that he's okay with us doing this and then we'll do it I can't just accept your words that the president has the okay so what Nixon did was he sent his aide and that was like a sign of like yes so I mean that makes a lot of sense and it, when, it, when it starts coming out later when you find out the Watergate burglars it, and this is what I see where people probably see where the mob kind of angle comes in i mean if the government was working with the mob to assassinate castro and some of these agents went rogue or maybe 
snapped or whatever. I mean, they had 635 assassination attempts on Castro and not a single one of them worked. There's documents in there that say Traficante was a double agent. I mean, how else are you going to die? Explosive cigars, poison cigars. I mean, they put some type of powder in a suit or swimming suit. So when we would dive down his skin, whatever skin would go like that is so insane where I would have been dead on assassination one. So it's like he was getting inside information from whoever I don't know. And I think if you look at Traficante, if he gets kicked out of Cuba, um, government does too. Most of the mob guys get kicked out of Cuba. Uh, I mean, rightfully they, so. Castro, they did in 50, yeah, when, yeah. yeah. Castro's trying to reclaim his land back. Um, but then you get into an aspect. Imagine if instead of doing a regime change, Traficante had the idea that if he maybe made a double deal with Castro, he could get himself back in there and his people back in there, and then everyone else is still kicked out. So then he has all the winnings for himself. So that makes sense. But I would need proof on that aspect of things because there are some assassination plots with Castro where I was like, there's no fucking way a mob person created that. There's no way. The poison pills? No, they're going to be like, we're going to get somebody close beside him with a gun and shoot him like Jack Ruby and Oswald. No, that's exactly, and, and I've said this before. I mean, the mob, they don't have assassins in that sense. Like they don't, I mean, assassins are military. Like mob guys, I mean, they might have a guy who kills people, but you generally don't have, you know, long range shooters and things like that. This is not something that the mob does. It doesn't set up triangulation of fire or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and as you're pointing out, Nixon has these ties to the mob, of course. Um, but again, um, the fact that, and, and this comes up all the time with like Giancana and Traficante, is like the fact that they wanted maybe to kill the president and were happy that the president got killed doesn't mean they did it right? or that they had the capacity to do it. Right? You, you've got a whole lot of chains of evidence to go through before you can say anything remotely like that. I've never seen anything that convinced me that the mob killed the president. Did they would did they want him dead? Yes, and they wanted Bobby Kennedy dead too, but that's that's not what happened. They didn't actually physically kill him because it's very difficult to kill the head of state. In fact, um, uh, is it von Clausewitz? It's basically impossible to do unless you have um, you've compromised security. If you're compromising security, that's not the mob. Also, the counter right? argument to, to the, the mob. Government is the fact that they could not do the medical autopsy cover-up. They couldn't, they couldn't mess with the evidence there. They could not do the Warren Commission aspects of things, and they couldn't do the media thing. That's all government stuff. So when I think we talk about if the government did do it, maybe there was this aspect of leaving breadcrumbs to the point where all evidence or some evidence or any investigation would point towards the mob. No, that's exactly what I think. And in fact, you can document that because at the and, I, and to me, it's like concentric circles that get smaller and smaller because uh, initially the idea is, well, the, the Soviet Union did it. You know, the Soviets, they, they, they killed uh, the president and we can't let anybody know because if the American public finds out that the Soviet Union killed the president, they're going to want nuclear war and that's going to gonna end the world, you know, uh, which is basically the pitch. Uh, that is made to Warren. I mean, to get him to to take on the, the commission, um, and then you've got you know, and then it comes in and in. We'll say, well, maybe maybe it wasn't the Soviets, maybe it was the mob, 
And then, okay, so, and then after a while, uh, LBJ became, it would, LBJ was initially very popular as a candidate. And then there was kind of a, and then he started to get popular again, um, probably as a result of the, um, that British uh, TV show in the 80s. Um, Johnson know, the and Johnson? Conspiracy. No, it was a famous conspiracy program that uh, broadcasted on the BBC. Um, I can't think of what it was called anymore. But anyway, um, so that those became so LBJ is sort of coming back, and now there's a big contingent of of LBJ people. Um, what I what I think is telling about all of that is that it's pushing to um, it's it's pushing out the blame to first the Soviets because that that would be perfect, right? If that were the case, and then, okay, maybe that doesn't really fly. Uh, okay, the mob, the mob, not really. Okay, LBJ. In other words everything to point away from what I think would be the most logical actors, which is to say the Pentagon and the, the central intelligence agency. Um, although primarily the Pentagon, because again, this is where we get our, I mean, if we, we want to find assassins, you know, that's, that's who we're going to talk to. If we're talking military operations, if we're going to invade Cuba or something, we're talking to the Pentagon. Um, so I think that, I think that in general makes more sense. And I think it also points to the fact that there's all these, as you said, breadcrumbs leading in every direction. I think I said this the last time we had, but um, that's why it's possible to write all these different kinds of books. So if I, if I want to write Mafia Kingfish, I sort of put all the, the testimony and evidence that relates to the mob into one book and ignore everything else. I can do that. And if I want to say that the Soviet Union did it, uh, then I can do that too. I can write, you know, all the possible, re you know, Soviet Union wanted to kill the president, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you can do that because there's so much out there, but you have to exclude a bunch of other evidence. I think that if you just put all the evidence as it stands in a line, it definitely points to what some call the military industrial complex. Like these are the people who have the means, these have, people have the motive, they're able to do it. And most importantly, in my view, because I view this as a continuum, and that is the problem with a lot of what I, and it's just me saying this, I think this is a problem with a lot of JFK research is that they only study JFK. And if you only study JFK, then you can come to the conclusion that the mob did it or whatever. But when you realize that, in fact, Jack Kennedy is opening the floodgates of all of these internal assassinations, which include Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Bobby Kennedy, and I would argue Ted Kennedy, that's a whole other conversation, uh, the Black Panthers, you know, then it's clear that this is the state, right? The state is getting rid of these people, right? Lyndon Johnson is not killing Malcolm X and, you know, everybody else, right? The mob is not killing Martin Luther King. It's not happening. The state is getting rid of threats to the state. I, I, I want to toss a couple of sides here. Um, and it's not, it's an argument. It's actually, it's just uh, to verify, because I, I do believe in the same boat as you on who did it um, overall as a government type thing. And I think if you look at people say, well, if the government did it, um, they could have killed him in his sleep. And I said, and here's what I, I went off for for a lot of times was sending a message to Kennedy by blowing his head off in Dallas. I believe that that was a, that was a message, but I also think we're receiving it as like, don't fuck with us. I think the whole message here is if it happened behind closed doors while Kennedy was sleeping, 
then that's a security issue. Where the hell was the Secret Service? Where the hell was the agencies? How the hell did this person get in there and be able to kill Kennedy? So what, what it is, you're in an open car, you're driving through Dallas. It's a make, make it look like it was a mob or some lone shooter. There you go. There's the government aspect of things. Another one is if we talk about the way that they're viewing Kennedy and the way that a lot of people like Alan Dulles are viewing the things that they're doing. I have to be tough because other people aren't going to be able to do what I have to do to keep America safe. This threat to communism was so high up there and everything Kennedy was doing, talking about working on our education systems, talking about going after um, or getting the FDA to look into a lot of these products and give better safety for the public. This is stuff that's like, whoa, we're in a war right now and we need you to be tough on Russia so we don't go and we don't we don't lose this country. We don't fall to communism. And that's why when you look at the Nixon and Kennedy debates, the things he were saying, I mean, I'm looking I'm like this sounds normal today, but back then it was so revolutionary and even nixon's kind of like everything he's saying is like oh, we're gonna make our military strong and we're gonna you know we're gonna show communism we're gonna stick our boot of america and justice down its throat and it's like kennedy's like i don't think we're america that could recognize the america from two decades ago we've changed and we're not changing for the better i mean space is the new science and we could talk about the moon later but i think that kind of thing is very revolutionary for the time and that's not what everyone that is in the government wanted to hear and i think even i don't know i doubt the mob was paying attention to any of the tv or election stuff they probably had other stuff going on but i think they definitely became aware when the government was like hey you know our this guy that's about to be the leader of the free world is going to send us in this area where not only are you guys the mafia going to lose control we're going to lose control because communism is going to come over here and now you can slowly start to get people to understand the military industrial complex idea and the capitalist system that we have in america yeah yeah no i mean that's and um it's not just the mob i mean the the one of the key aspects of if there's no vietnam war right raytheon is going to lose out bell helicopter is going to lose out i mean that's the whole thing about war is that you can make a hell of a lot of money on it. and this has been true throughout history you know, the easiest way to build a fortune is to have a war, um, which you are not participating in as a combatant. <laughs> You're sitting in your office and telling other people to go to war for you. Um, yeah, no, that, that's that's right. I mean, and there's a, and I, I have talked about this recently, but the there are inherent biases for every human being on earth, right? And you are very astute to point out the fact that Alan Dulles, for example, does not consider himself a villain, right? Neither did Jolly West, right? They were doing what needs to be done for the, you know, the whatever rationale that they have, which, which makes them perform evil acts, because that's the most dangerous thing in the world is your sort of um, uh, self-righteousness, right? I mean, that's what that's all the anti-Castro Cubans after the Bay of Pigs that blamed Kennedy, right? They said he he allowed our brothers to be murdered, and that was that was something that was sold um, to those guys to to get them into a murderous rage about Kennedy. Um, but in fact, uh, individuals themselves always see themselves as the star of their own movie, and they have their own motivations, and they don't typically think of themselves as dastardly or evil. 
despite the fact that they can be committing all sorts of evil acts. That's very true. And the other sort of the, the bias that is inherent in our system is towards business, right? So keeping business on the, on the, as the main focus of everything. So anything that interferes with business is bad and anything that promotes business is good. And that's true up until this day. And again, I can FTX, perfect example, right? They, they, things were going and people were making money and, and then, you know, of course the bottom falls out, uh, which, is, which happens all the time in, in this country, unfortunately. But that, that bias is inherent in everything. So when Jack Kennedy was saying, and by the way, it's, you know, you point out his, uh, his speeches, but his speeches are way toned down. And Jim DiGenio has done a lot of work on this and, and his, his stuff is great showing that Kennedy made radical speeches like, uh, you know, a dozen years uh, before he ever became president. And he actually, the, uh, the speeches that he was giving with Nixon are toned down in comparison to that. But that seemed to be his real thing is that he was trying to analyze the world in terms of self-determination rather than what is good for the United States in a business sense, right? After the Monroe Doctrine, the idea is we own Latin America, right? The United, the Latin American belongs to us. So we get, to, we get to pick who their leaders are. And if they elect somebody we don't like, we take them out. We get to, they've got lots of natural resources. So guess what? We're going to make them give us the natural resources. Um, you know, Woodrow Wilson in Haiti very famously sent the Marines to Haiti to help uh, clients uh, in the sugar industry. Now, this is how the world works, and this is how the United States works. I want to have to look at this stuff. I want to push back on a, another point where people say the people that believe conspiracy in the Kennedy assassination are just Kennedy fanboys, and people that are obviously pro Warren Commission um, just might have been have more conservative views or something like that i'm neither and i'm i think kennedy would have been great for this country but i'm also not i didn't live in that time period so i can't say i was his number one fan i just seen a lot of things that i think would have been good for this country sure so what i what i say with that is when you look at the Warren Commission, the Warren Commission, the history books are what the Warren Commission is basically. It's that's how the history books teach it. The investigation of the president or uh, death of the president. OK, well, if you look at the Warren Commission, it reads more like Oswald did it. We're going to show you how they had one suspect and it was Oswald. Look at the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission was thorough in every aspect that it shouldn't have been thorough. Jack, I mean, Jack Ruby's mother's dental records. I think Mark Lane's the one that said it wouldn't have even mattered if Jack Ruby had bit Oswald to death. I mean, you, you start looking at it. There's so much fluff in there. And the reason and look at the, how long the investigation lasts. It was so fast. I, If you're investigating the death of the president, I want you to take good time. I want you to make sure that you looked into everything you went and you interviewed witnesses and doubled down on more questions you should have. And if you read some of those transcripts, they ask a question, the person says, I don't really recall. Um, and then they move on. It's like, no, ask again, or give them some information or give them some background to that question. So then you look at what was the Warren Commission? Well, the Warren Commission was just trying to presume Oswald's guilt. So then, okay, what's this? What's the next investigation? The HSCA that doesn't really get talked about. Well, what was the HSCA? Well, the HSCA was an investigation into the Warren Commission and really just trying to make sure that, you know, 
I guess just maintain, like I said before, the reputation of these people while they were alive. It wasn't really about exposing anything. And even if Blakey did request documents, the CIA didn't give it to him, um, which I, I try and tell people you can't really criticize the HSA too much. They did their job. Their job was to do. They actually did a lot. I mean, there's a lot of good work that happened inside the HSCA. Um, I mean, you know, Gaten Fonzie being, being one of the people who did a lot of really interesting work and all that. But um, no, it's, it's true. And that's also another thing that, that people need to understand is that, the, that things are not monolithic in that way. Like the House Select Committee on Assassinations, they are investigating from the top and they're pointing in a single direction, but not every individual that is doing work for them necessarily has that in mind. So they end up turning up stuff. You know, and the same thing was true of the ARB. I mean, when they, they ended up releasing a bunch of documents, which actually did have um, evidence of interest to the Kennedy assassination, despite the fact that, as in general, uh, the, the idea is not to point in that way. Um, you know, the Alan Dulles said the American people don't read, right? Well, so look, the, the, I must say, if you look at the HSCA, I mean, Blakey's whole thing with um, Stokes which is just, you know, keep these agencies reputations there. I mean, you got a guy who works for the government and they're not going to want to embarrass the agencies if they do come across something bad. So what do you consider valid for the public to know is mail intercepts or spying on people's mails or, you know, putting the CIA or the FBI on college campuses and trying to recruit people? Is that what the public needs to know? No, not really. I, I consider that you can keep that classified. So now you get into another dangerous aspect. So when you look at the overall investigation of John F. Kennedy's death, the only real investigation has been the people in the research community who are looking into it and trying to expose a lot of things that are really, really messed up. The autopsy is a good one. Um, I'm happy with the Watergate thing that they at least went into the MK Ultra aspects. I asked Blakey about this as well too, because there's a document that I have and I asked him about this. He never gave me an answer to it. He said he couldn't, he couldn't remember, but he was requesting for a document. And then the, the, I guess res the response to it was about JM wave. And I asked because what it says is we're going to have an off the books dinner with Blakey to discuss some of these subject matter. And I think when you're having this off the books dinner, I mean, it's not documented, but it's this aspect of, hey, there's going to be jam wave documents that are good. They might just say something about Oswald at the top, and then they might have something at the bottom that might have MK Ultra or jam wave. The reason I can back that argument up is when they have the 13 people that are listed on the assassination attempts to Castro, one of those names is Sidney Gottlieb, who was in charge of the MK Ultra project, and who there's two people he was uh, used to assassinate in assassination plots. And that was Castro by putting some type of poison powder, which is the one we know about, into his beard to make his beard fall out. It's a character assassination. And then Patrice Lumumba. So Lumumba was killed. So you yes. get, not by us, and but we, we might've helped. Yeah, we did help. We gave them to the, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think when you look at that a document of, that could be very crucial to Oswald, and then it might have something at the bottom that could be uh, an aside, just trying to save paper. I don't know, just trying to, you know, you might add something at, just as a thing you might request. Well, now that document is now considered an MK Ultra document, and that valuable information that could be very valuable to the JFK assassination is not going to be released to us because it's a threat to national security. And I, 
I, I think that's really important because I came across a document about Oswald and I'm just happy I got Blakey to admit that Oswald was intelligence because like I said, we got to work our way as much as you said, everything to get away from the agency. We got to start with that. We got to go, okay, let's start with the mob. Now work our way back in. Let's get back to you. That's the thing is that we're, we're accepting the bait and then we're working our way back in. We're pulling that line. And then when we get pulled up, we stab them. We go, yeah, we got you. I, I I think that's important because then you look at um, with you know the documents that Blakey was requesting for the MK Ultra stuff. That's the stuff you're that either we don't have documentation on. We only know because of a whistleblower. But there's a bunch of stuff where college institutions over 44, and I have the list like University of Maryland, University of Pennsylvania, UCLA. So many of this. Then you see Joyon West's name. Not only is he tied to Charles Manson, he's tied to Jack Ruby. He's tied to Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber. He's tied to Donald DeFries and the Patty Hearst kidnapping. He's tied to Whitey Bulger, and all these get listed as MK Ultra now. That's not clear enough evidence, but God damn it. If that ain't the biggest coincidence I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, and that's what, and that's a good way to bring this in because that's the discovery. And I think that's one of the things that separates what people, when people like are looking at quote unquote conspiracy theories or conspiracy researchers, that's the part where they sort of go, what? Um, I, I have blown so many minds in my life saying exactly what you're saying now that by the way, this person pops up and, uh, and let me tell you about E. Howard Hunt, you know, <laughs> from 1945 on E. Howard Hunt is at every major, uh, problem or debacle that, that happens in the United States. Um, and you're like, how is this possible if none of this is connected? Like Jolly West is just getting around. He's just a guy that people know, you know, and it just so happens to be with people who have um, histories of being in certain prisons. Uh, maybe they went to Vacaville, you know, maybe, maybe they had uh, psychological issues and they've been receiving medication for a while. And then it turns out they killed a whole bunch of people. Like these stories just pop up and pop up and pop up all the time. Um, and I think on the one hand, it makes people like reluctant to get into this because I've had this conversation before with somebody who's, you know, just starts out. He said, don't you write about this? And I was like, yeah. So, and I say something like what you just said. And they're just, they, they're like, yeah, I don't think I want to do this. They, they don't, they just don't want to know that that's how corrupt everything is. And I kind of agree. I mean, one of the arguments against conspiracy theories, and I've been seeing it a lot lately in different papers, is that uh, conspiracy theories are corrosive to solidarity within the state. And I think that's right. I think that's true. So stop with the conspiracies already. Okay, because the blame goes to the conspiracy, quote unquote, theorists for going where other people don't want to go. It's not that we should stop, you know, murdering people and, you know, invading other countries and doing all, you know, performing mass experiments on human beings, which is continuing to this very minute. Uh, Barack Obama was talking about the, uh, I don't want to get into this whole vaccination thing, but Barack Obama's recent speech where he says um, that in essence, uh, the new vaccines have all been tried 
this has been a, a you know a, a trial of billions because we've used these vac- vaccinations on so many people. Uh, that is not how trials work. What Barack Obama is describing is a crime against humanity. Okay, that's I, I, you know it's crazy that I, I I cannot believe those words came out of his mouth that they did. And unless and and again, people are going to say, well, that's crazy. But again, go back and look at the history. I mentioned a book before we were, when we were just talking called The Higher Form of Killing. Um, and I would recommend that book to anyone to go look at um, because it talks about the history of the United States uh, and their, the various experiments that they've done on the populace, on, on their own people. Um, you, you, I would just add one gotta thing be, to the thing you yeah. said about conspiracies um, and the way people I, I get people don't want to deal with it. But what I do have a problem with is, is that when you limit that information online or you tell someone they're crazy for investigating it, where it creates paranoia, it creates a lot of, uh, I guess, pain on their mind in general, just because they're feeling like, you know, is my life a lie? What the hell is happening? It's causing them to snap. But I feel like you need if someone's looking for that information, you should be given that information. You shouldn't be hiding it. You shouldn't be considering a nap. And I get the idea of like releasing intelligence operations, because if we see it, obviously someone from another country is going to see it. I get that. And trust me, I'm a patriot at heart, but I don't like the manipulation when you see, you know, and this is the last thing I'm going to mention about COVID just because it's going to be this whole YouTube thing. They're yeah, going to flag they're gonna, it down. Yeah, they're going to flag it. They yeah. even changed that with QAnon. You can't mention QAnon. And even the Jan 6 stuff, yet people have been saying Jan 5 plus 1. So that's a whole other discussion. But um, when it comes to- Which is relevant to what we're talking about right now. Because it's exactly- so. Th- you're, you're putting a box on what people could talk about. It doesn't even matter. This the, the idea that this conspiracy that it came from a lab was so ridiculous. Now they're talking about it like, okay, it might actually, you know, that seems like it's more probable. Look at the evidence of a lie. I mean, Joyon West lied in court saying that he was never at- attached to MK Ultra, and it came out after his death that he was. There's a lie, so now you can start looking into that. Another lie is the fact that they said there was never a bat at that lab, and then there's a picture from 2014 of Barack Obama holding a bat at that lab. There's a lie. So whatever it is, whatever it's an idea of like, oh, we don't want this to be objects of mere speculation or curiosity, when you're, not, when you're, when you're starting to lie out the gate, and you're asking then the public to accept or have your trust or all this in your hands and that you you know listen to us we're the know-alls that is where you you get into this really really dark time where now you're seeing a division amongst people and I'm not for that I'm not in support of that and I think when you start looking at the creativity that these either agencies or just people in general have and the way that some people buy it and some people don't. And then that somehow becomes not a fight against them or not a fight to find the truth. It now becomes this idea of you're hurting my reality. So I have to attack you. And that's why you have people and this could be a large jump, but you have people that are climate activists that are fucking throwing paint on paintings. If you want to make a mark, go spray paint the Capitol, go do. And I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying 
Go to where people who are making the laws for you and make a statement, make a protest, be civil about it. I, and I get it. Oh, peace doesn't do anything, but make some, when it comes to just being in their face to the people that are actually making the laws, and I'm not trying to do a Jan 6 thing. I'm not at all. I just think when it comes to, you're now just hurting your own population and that's the overall goal is that we can never research into these topics. We can never talk about anything because all they do is they make us fight each other and it gets sided with left wing or right wing or, you know, feminists or non -fem And it just becomes this issue where we're just battling because we all are stuck in our own little echo chambers of people that we agree with. And I've noticed it. I had three podcasts on organized crime and all three of them I can't post because they only last 15 minutes. Because when I start asking questions about organized crime, don't you think it's dangerous for, you know, the military to be working with the mafia? I mean, they have this idea of heroes versus villains, right? Like the mobs, the villains, it turns out the government's just as bad. Oh, um, do you mind if we pause real quick? And then I pause it and they go, I actually don't agree. Like, I think that like um, there are things that need to be, and it just becomes this thing where I'm like, what? Like I had a podcast with John Prados. It didn't go good at all. I was asking about the Phoenix program. I was asking about a bunch of stuff and it just got awkward. And I was like, well, so you do not want me to post this. And then he hits me up like a couple months later saying, Hey, Hey man, I got your email. I'd love to do your show. I'm like, do you not remember the whole awkward conversation? And I have it saved on my computer. And it's like, I did get him. He was telling me there was no such program. And I pulled it up on air and I was like, what is this? What is that? He told you that there's no such thing as the Phoenix program. I was acting like, wasn't there a bunch of people that were ended up being killed? And there was a, and I did, and there was a point where I corrected myself because I did get confused with the Franklin scandal. And then the, the, but the Franklin scandal that has weight to it too, but it got labeled as a hoax. And you just go, see, that's the thing is that the media called it a hoax. Now you can never look into it. But Nick Bryant has done great work on that. He spoke to people that were involved in that. And he's gotten that on his podcast. And it's just like, so when you start looking through the fabrics of historical things or ideas of things, I question every single historical event as, is this really what happened? The JFK assassination, was it a lone nut? No. You look into it. There's a hell of a lot more. And if anything, if Oswald did take a shot, there was somebody else and nobody investigated into that. And I think that's what you have to look at as well, too. And I, like I said, I only say that because I'm trying to find common ground where people can meet us halfway. And I get the idea that nobody's going to meet you halfway at this type of stuff. But it's just about trying to work with what the people already have in their mind and just add on to that and then start erasing what they had before. Say, this is what you this is what the history books told you. Now, let me give you some more information and then we'll go back to what the history books told you and we'll take that out. Well, you can I mean, you can see some of this. Um, I mean, if you think about like what I keep using the word conspiracy theorists is a term I hate, but um parapolitical research or whatever, you can see how the deck is stacked when you just look at, for example, people in the South's reaction to, say, not naming schools after George Custer or introducing some level of reality into the education of the children about what actually happened. Um, like these folks want to wipe out slavery from our history, which is something that everybody agrees happened, <laughs> and prominently so in areas of the South. Um, and they still don't, they don't want to know about it, right? They know, and I don't want our children to learn about this either. And that's a thing that everybody agrees happened. 
So trying to get people to believe that the state killed John F. Kennedy, it's going to be difficult. Or that, you know, 9-11 was not conducted by, you know, Osama bin Laden's minions or whatever. Um, there's, there's an inherent resistance to it. And then everything in the media is telling you that that's a dumb idea and you shouldn't go there, right? So that's an extra layer of then protection of those ideas that, you know, the South doesn't have with regard to slavery, right? I don't think Osama that's a, bin that's an Laden's, analogy. I don't think Osama bin Laden's minions were able to sell the scrap a week later after the towers fell. Like there's no connections to where they would have, and they sold it to China. And it was like, what, why are you getting rid of evidence? Why are you, even the family was like, what the hell are you doing? But then the families, like, that's the thing is the double standard. Again, the families can talk about conspiracy, but anybody else that researches into it and does way more of an investigation, people that, you know, spend time interviewing people that were there that day, interviewing multiple different family members, and people will call that a conspiracy. It's like, well, why don't you say the same thing to the family members? Oh, well, they're just going still they're still processing the loss. Don't give me that shit. It's because when you start looking into it, there's just things that don't add up. And it's what pisses me off about the damn skeptics. And I've talked to a lot of them, but it's this idea of like, oh, I'm so intellectual that, you know, I can debunk one conspiracy. So that means I can just look at the cliff notes of every other one and then give you a breakdown. The main thing that I heard from Michael Shermer was the president gets multiple death threats a day. That makes a lot of sense. So I get it. Okay. Maybe the secret service, you know, they, they get so many, they didn't take it at face value, but then you find out that from the AARB that the secret service had destroyed documents about some prior assassination attempts, including the Chicago plot and some other things like that. So now I start going did you look at that like do you, why don't you mention that in your books no that doesn't get mentioned and then people that want to believe in this idea of like we're going to shun the conspiracy people or we're going to do that well they're thinking that like it's like this entitlement thing that i can't stand i'm like well hear the person's perspective out ask some questions on their information and see if it actually has some weight behind it and it does it has a lot of weight to it because there is something funky going on which is why they can't address it head on. That's why all of Shermer's arguments are always this disingenuous nonsense, because if he actually has to deal with the facts, he knows he's going to get into a mess. And he's also going to be arguing with, like, if Michael Shermer debated Jim DiEugenio or somebody, like, Jim knows every detail about the case and Shermer just doesn't. You know, he would just get destroyed. Um, and, and also, you know, and I quote, uh, something that Shermer said in in, uh, in my book, which I think is hilarious, which he was talking about uh, the Princess Diana conspiracy, right? Which I don't know anything about. I'm not, you know, I, I have not looked into this at all. I'm still um, on the Kennedy thing. I can't go to Diana yet. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll get there, right? Um, but Shermer says, well, you know, there are people who believe that Princess Diana was murdered by a cabal related to the royal family. And then there are also other people who believe that she faked her death. And both of those cannot be true. And he says that like he's made this point about anything. And it's like, Mike, uh, there are physicists who believe in the Big Bang, and there are physicists who believe in a steady state universe. So therefore, there is no truth? Like, because both those things can't be true, right? Okay, so what is the difference when you're talking about a theory about something? And there isn't any difference. And that's also the thing that a lot of what my book is about, is that 
the whole term, the, the fact that we have a term conspiracy theory is nonsensical because it, it sets it into a different category where we're not supposed to look at things evidentially. But a conspiracy theory is like anything else in science, in the world, in anything. It either happened or it didn't. And how do we determine that? Well, we look at the evidence. That's it. Can two people disagree about the evidence? Of course. Can you have 19 different theories about the evidence? Absolutely. But that's also true of science. There's lots and lots of theories that have, I mean, physics is like the big one. You know, uh, string theory is not compatible with other types of physics, okay? And no one, uh, maybe other than me, says that string theory is so dumb as a result of this. <laughs> um, it's taken seriously because it's part of science. Why th this is much, this is not that, right? Even Princess Diana, okay? whether Princess Diana was murdered or not, is much more of an earthly thing that we can investigate than when we're talking about these elaborate uh, invisible concepts in our universe. Well, there's just random strawman arguments that get brought up. Yeah, they're, the they're, they're absolutely strawman. Absolutely. Yeah. I just feel they like never deal with evidence in a world where we've like sometimes I'm doing a podcast or doing like a, just a conversation like, you know, we're just talking right now. It's how my show is. I like it like this. I don't like the strict interview stuff. Um, but then like halfway through, I'm like, I start to realize I'm in a fucking intellectual chess match that I didn't even know I was in. Like, it's just trying to prove that you're the more superior intellect in so many sense. I'm like, well, why are you coming to the table with that? But it's these ideas that we've turned everything into debates. We've turned them into things where afterwards nobody shakes hands. It's this idea of like, I'm mad at you and I'm going to start talking trash on you. And it's like, that's not how this we were told in the beginning of our lives and education that we can always ask questions. It never hurts to ask a question, but now it's gotten to this point in society that we can't question things that are large controversial topics or things about our history that end up 10 years later, they end up looking into, and then everyone goes, huh, I guess I was wrong. And then they move over. It's like, what, hold on a second. You just spent so much time labeling this as so. And I, I want to show this because I, I, and I don't even care if I get a copyright strike over this. This to me is just one of the most interesting things. Um, and this is the heart attack gun thing. Uh, I got, I'm just doing this because I need the public to verify. I need them to know that this is 100% real because I posted this on the and So many of my friends were like, wait, what? Can you see what I'm seeing? Um, it's just black. It says Robbie is screen sharing, but it doesn't tell me anything. Ah, got it. There we go. There's okay. the church committee. All right. Here we go. Various devices for administering the toxins that were found in the laboratory certainly make it clear that purely defensive uses were not um, what the agency uh, had, had, uh, was limited to in any way. There were definite offensive uses. In fact, there were dart guns. You mentioned suicide. Well, I, I, I don't think a, a suicide is usually accomplished with a dart, uh, particularly a gun that can, can uh, place the dart in a human target in such a way that he doesn't even know that he's been hit. When he said that, and he says the suicide usually doesn't happen with a dart, in my head I just went, I can make, I can, I'll be the first. Watch. <laughs> Yeah, Frank, Frank Church. Man. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say, what happened to Frank Church? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at what happened to William Colby. 
I, you know, it's funny. I got, I told Jefferson Morley about that. And I asked him because I spoke with William Colby's friend, John Ranley. And um, I asked him if you think his death was suspicious. And he goes, you know what? I put way more weight into that than I did before. And I said, yeah, I mean, come Morley on. said that Morley said that. Look at his episode, uh, his podcast episode and look at right at the ending. I asked him as my last question. I, I try, was like, I, I try to avoid listening to Morley, but, but, uh, but um, that's interesting. Okay. So he thinks it's he thinks it's suspicious. Have you brought with you um, some of those devices which would have enabled the CIA to use this poison for? We have indeed for killing people. It's fucking nuts, dude. <laughs> don't don't point it at me. <laughs> I wonder if, if I love this part right here. It's slide it. Now, does does this does this pistol uh, fire the dart? Yes, it does, Mr. Chairman. The uh, that the round thing at the top is obviously the sight. The rest of it is uh, what is practically a, uh, a normal 45, although it's, just, it's special. Look at the and dude in the background trying not to laugh. It works by electricity. There's a battery in the handle, and it fires a small dart. So that when it fires, it fires silently? Almost silently, yes. Uh, very little. Very what little. range does it have? 100 meters. 100 meters, I believe, about. About 100 yards, 100 meters. About a hundred meters range, right. and the dart itself, when it strikes the the, the uh, target, um, does the uh, target know that he's about he's been hit and about to die? That depends, Mr. Chairman, on the particular dart used. There are different kinds of these flechettes uh, that were used in in uh, various weapon systems, and a special one was developed which potentially would be able to uh, enter the target without perception. Without perception, right? And did you find such such darts in the library? We in, did. in the laboratory. We did. Yes. And then, of course, Isn't it uh, after during the, the after the Reagan shooting, um, when Reagan was in the hospital getting operated on, they had a devil of a time trying to find. The bullet and they had to go back in like two or three times if i remember right trying to dig around in his body and they described an object they when they finally found it they described it as a flechette that's what they the doctor said is kind of like a flechette it was like this was the thin you know so i don't know was was reagan shot with a flechette i don't know but the it's the surgeon who had experience doing surgeries on gunshot wounds had enormous trouble finding a bullet. And then when he did find it, it turned out to be this little sliver of a thing. And he was sort of puzzled about it. And then that story went completely away. It's to me, it's, I mean, what the way history or some articles that are written about William Colby talked about, he did a great thing by, I mean, he really embarrassed the agency, but he did a good thing 
about exposing all this. And I did agree with that. But when I see that interview of him in there talking about it, he looks more like somebody's twisting his wrist to be able to say he's, those types he, of he's things. He's under a lot of stress, man. I mean, you can imagine. Like, And in fact, what happened to Colby? Like you said, he got disappeared. And um, he was in a kayak was, in the middle of the a, night. Well, and his, yeah, he worked in he the CIA it, for 15 a years. And his yeah. all his doors are unlocked, and that's not yeah. suspicious. No, the door was open, and there was like a half-eaten sandwich on the counter, and he decided to go kayak in this weird time and left his house. Yeah, in and the middle of the night, they turn up. They turn up the body. Um, but Colby, he was criticized at the time that they, he was giving away the family jewels, like they're you know. And what happens after this? Well, Colby gets fired, and George Bush, who allegedly has no history with the central intelligence agency whatsoever um gets appointed the head and of course there's a building named after george bush at langley (laughs) but but of course he had no you know this is all new and what happened and then uh the whole commission gets shut down and you have the rockefeller commission comes up and which is a total whitewash um and so you can see how these things happen like colby was cooperating too much putting that on tv and even even to this Day, like you say putting this video i mean it's amazing most people are not aware of that at all that that happened and that it was on friggin' tv and that by the way the two guys that are talking church and colby both die under mysterious circumstances not that long afterwards uh yeah yeah there's a whole there's a whole history that's underneath history i think when this stuff comes out later then you look at like when they were using it and how far back does it go i mean we found out about mk ultra and the watergate hearings um, but we also know that it was going, they were experimenting with LSD since the fifties. Now I have this one, too, which I think is important about, um, it just, I love these background conversations between LBJ and Hoover right now. And they're talking about the Kennedy assassination to me. It just adds a little bit more context. Um, I think I, I did not share with Sam. Hang on a second. All right. I was seeing something. All right, here we go. There we go. 28th of September. And he was in Mexico city on the 28th. Now, the Mexican police have again arrested this woman, Duran, who's a member of the, of the uh, Cuban embassy, and we'll hold her for two or three more days. And we've got to confront her with the, the original informant who saw the money pass, so he says, and we're also going to put the lie detector test on it. Meantime, of course, Castro's hollering his head off. Can you pay attention to those lie detector tests? I, I would not uh, pay 100%, uh, 100% attention to them. All that they are is a psychological uh, asset in, a, in an investigation. I wouldn't want to be a part to sending a man to the chair on a lie detector. Uh, they, uh, for instance, we have found many cases where, where we've used them and in a bank where there's been embezzlement. And a person will confess before the lie detector test is finished. They're more or less fearful of the fact that the lie detector test will show them guilty. Mm-hmm. Psychologically, uh, there's that advantage because it's a misnomer to call it a lie detector because what it really is, it's the evaluation of the chart that is made by this machine. Uh, and that evaluation is made by a human being. And any human being can uh, be apt to make a wrong interpretation. So I would not myself go on that alone if, on the other hand, in the, if this Oswald had lived and had taken the, uh, the lie detector test and it had shown definitely uh, that he had done these various things together with the evidence that we very definitely have, uh, they, it would have uh, just added that, that much more strength to it. There's no question.
question, but the T is the man. Now, the fingerprints and things that we have. This, uh, the subtitles are not matching. Uh, Rubenstein down there. Uh, he is offered to take the lie detector test, but his lawyer has got to be cross-consulted first, and I doubt whether the lawyer will allow him. He's one of these criminal lawyers from the West Coast. And some are like a Bennett Williams type, and almost as much of a shyster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you got any uh, any relationship between the two here? Uh, between uh, uh, Rubenstein? Yeah. No, at the present time, we have not. There was, was he, a story down there that... Was uh, he ever in his bar and stuff like that? There was that? a story that this fellow had been in this nightclub, that he this strip tease joint that he has, but that has not been able to be confirmed. Now, uh, this fellow Rubenstein is a, is a very shady character, has a bad record, street brawler, fighter, and that sort of thing. And uh, in the place in Dallas, if a fellow came in there and couldn't pay his bill completely, Rubenstein would beat the very devil out of him and throw him out of the place. He was that kind of a fella. He didn't drink, didn't smoke, boasted about that. He would—he's what I would put in the category one of these egomaniacs. He likes to be in the limelight. He knew all the police uh, in that white light district. Wait a minute! They said he didn't know and Dallas police. And he also uh, let him come in, see the show, get food, and get liquor, and so forth. That's how I think he got into police headquarters. Uh, because uh, they accepted him as kind of a police character hanging around police headquarters. And for that reason, raised no, no question. Of course, they, they never made any moves as the pictures show, even when they saw him approaching this, this fellow and got up right to him and pressed his pistol against, uh, against Oswald's stomach. Uh, uh, neither of the police officers on either side made any move to push him away or to grab him. It wasn't until after the gun was fired that they then moved. Now, of course, that, that is not the highest degree of efficiency, so to say. Secondly, the chief of police admits that he uh, moved him in the morning uh, as a convenience and at the request of the motion picture people who wanted to have daylight. He should have moved him at night, but he didn't. And, uh, I mean, it, uh, those derelictions in that phase. But so far as tying Rubenstein and Oswald together, we haven't as yet done so. There's been a number of stories come in. Uh, we've- I just think there's a lot of important stuff there. One important thing is there the- is, yeah. Jack yeah, Rubenstein. Evidence against interest. Well, Jack Ruby said that I want to lie detector tests and the truth will come out. They knew, and in in the public's mind, and even think for a, a, just until I guess relatively recently things will get mentioned of he took a lie detector test so he took a lie detector test. how many people have been falsely imprisoned because of a lie detector test and it turns out that's not real blood splatter analysis isn't real neutron star analysis or neutron activation isn't real and you start realizing that like they knew none of this shit worked it was just great ways to get their message across or confirm or nail the coffin of whatever truth they wanted you to think. And that's what I think is important. I mean, we know that he knew Dallas police. Hoover said that they knew Dallas police, but the documents don't reflect that. The documents show that they never had, they did not know each other. There was no way because that wouldn't fit for some of their narratives. So they had to close off some gaps. And I think that type of stuff is really important. So when people say there's no conspiracy and the official story is correct, bullshit. And I think showing this and getting people to, you know, be more aware of this, I think that's highly important. But I think that's a very, you know, that exposes a couple wrong issues right there. And just on the basis of, I mean, out of all the things that they said and the number of things that we can prove and other people have proved that are wrong on that basis alone, I don't think we can sit there and roll our eyes at a conspiracy. 
like this. No, no. And that's, it, it is, that's a, that's a, a great conversation you pulled up. You've got Hoover giving a very astute and complete analysis of the value of lie detector tests, um, which as he says, is a tool of interrogation. It's not because the lie detector is going to tell you anything, but the person's reaction to the lie detector might tell you something and they might confess because they're scared of the lie detector. I think that's, that's brilliant. And then of course, you know, he gets into <laughs> to Ruby's obvious uh, in, entwinement with the uh, Dallas police. Um, and like you say, the documents, the documents don't reflect that. So, you know, Hoover is telling the truth. Uh, the truth is not coming down in those documents, which I think, and I've said this before, I mean, that, so documents are where we all start, but we have to take them in context and understand that not all of them are going to be correct. And you can't necessarily build an ironclad case that way. What you're, what you're looking for is information that points you in a particular direction. Uh, or in this case, which this is a gold conversation, right? Because it's it's evidence against interest. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. Um, Hoover is speaking frankly uh, and therefore telling the truth about things that are not generally considered to be truthful in you know the wider world, but he knows what's going on. I came across a document about was Oswald given LSD um, when he went overseas into Russia and when he was given, you know, when he just was in his travels. And that doesn't say anything about him being an intelligence agent, but we know that they used LSD on intelligence agents. So they would be used to these types of things that they might come across in interrogation. So I think that's, even though that's not like Oswald's an agent from that document, but that just adds more weight to the point that there is subtle things and things of that sort that add there. And like I said, there's no jumping on a smoking gun here with me, but I mean, like uh, I, I'm going to play uh, one more thing or actually I got two more, it's, but it's a, it's a point, and this is important for everybody to remember when we're doing stuff like this. Um, it's a point, like a point in a basketball game. Okay. So yes, it's a piece of evidence. It, is it, does it prove anything? No, by itself, no. But it is a point. And if you get enough of them. So I do land in the, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't believe LBJ did. I definitely believe L, LBJ definitely just went along with the cover-up that was happening. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. when it comes to and, this- and- and to illustrate, and let me just say one thing, because um, I get criticized about this pretty often. Um, I am not defending Lyndon Johnson. Okay. I am not. I am, I am also not saying that uh, Lyndon Johnson didn't participate in the murder of other people, including possibly his sister. Like, I, I'm not an expert on that stuff. I mean, from all I can tell, Johnson was a horrible human being. And he's waiting in the wings because he will prosecute the Vietnam war. He is going, he will, he's going to do it. He's going to send our boys over there and Kennedy wouldn't. So that's, I mean, that is a very key element to all of this. What I am, what I do say is that I do not see a direct relationship in Lyndon Johnson actually performing the assassination through, you know, he's not the one giving the orders. I, I don't think there's any evidence for that. I agree there's with a that. lot of evidence that lunch that Johnson was a shitbag. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, he was. And the Vietnam War doesn't happen without him. 100%. I, agree. I put a lot more weight in uh, Nixon also being targeted. I think Nixon was a bad guy. I think Nixon did get corrupted with power as much as J. Edgar Hoover did. But I also think with Nixon saying things about Bohemian Grove, where he talked about like it's the gayest mm-hmm. thing he's ever oh, seen, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that pisses off a couple yeah. people that I like, you know, are part of that inner fraternity that goes on with some of these things. But uh, I know he, he's. 
Go ahead. He, his main his main problem, the, the main issue with Nixon, and again, this has nothing to do with what people understand to be true, but the main issue with Nixon is that he was cutting out the intelligence agencies and trying to create his own internal intelligence agencies so that he could be in control of his stuff. So that was that was the problem. And when they start going after Nixon, they take out all of his guys, right? Haldeman's gone. Um, what's his name? Ehrlichman's gone. Like they're all like all he loses all his people and it gets replaced by one guy essentially, which is Al Haig. And Al Haig is not Nixon's guy. Well, we he knew when he tried to reach out to Hoover to help him out, and Hoover was already spreading himself a little too thin and said no. Then you see Nixon create his own FBI and things of that sort. But when he says something like this um because i believe him and johnson definitely had a good relationship and i think like nixon just happened to say a little bit too much like he didn't have that sensor filter of like things that you're supposed to say so there's this with buchanan you're saying okay yeah you'll, you'll see i don't um, think i've seen this it's pretty good looking at the kennedys i make an interesting comparison first edward kennedy was the best politician of the three he is the best politician. He's gregarious. He loves it. He's warm. Uh, John Kennedy, on the other hand, uh, was quite a shy person, really. Mm -hmm. uh, it was not easy for him to get out and shake hands and the rest. He did it very well. It wasn't easy for him. He was a quite private person. Uh, I would say that Bobby Kennedy, on the other hand, well, I, I would compare him as Alice Longworth used to. As he, he was like a 17th century Jesuit priest, uh -huh. passionate, uh, uh -huh. uh, one of, uh, who brooked no opposition and so forth, very intelligent and so forth. Now that was on air. Now here's the unfiltered part. During the I think um, maybe we can get through LBJ in that period. Oh, yes, I can do that. Um, okay. You know, there's this terrible book out on it. Uh, oh, I know it by uh, George read Reedy. It. Did you read, is it Reedy's book? No, oh, no, no, this new Carol book. Yeah. Uh, it gets a rave review from uh, Clifton Fadiman in the Book of the Month. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Stand by. Shit, it makes him feel like a goddamn animal. Mm -hmm. Quiet. Because he was. <laughs> now, clearly, you can take that okay, out of context. I had, I had seen that. But when he says he's well, a goddamn animal. Johnson plays it, though. I mean, you know, as you well know, he liked to take his dick out and he liked to do all these horrible things. Well, um, that's that's where you notice the press coverage is different. When they say Johnson was pissing on Secret Service member shoes, the article that says, oh, well, that he was pissing in the wind and a little bit had gotten on his shoes. But then even in the article, they go to the bottom. Sometimes Johnson would be so busy and so overworked that he'd have to when he's going to the bathroom, he'd have to have meetings in the bathroom. I was like, no, he would drag fucking people into the bathroom to keep talking to him because he didn't want the conversation to end because he had had to use the restroom mm -hmm. smell what i'm doing while we're doing this it's part of his intimidation routine yeah well no, that's him that's he's a big bolstering right. figure you see that when he's talking yeah. about like uh he had a at one point after he retired and everything he had this car that was like a submarine and he would play jokes on people and you act like his brakes didn't work and drive right into the lake and people would jump out of the cars and things of that sort but <laughs> yeah. i mean that was him he's i have a i got this one and then another one and then i'll, I'll stop sharing and we can talk again but this is i think is another okay. one of those things of why people yeah, think Sean just say was, i that clip also reminded me, um, you know, my dad is a retired history professor and I used to, uh, we used to go like to the LBJ library and stuff like that. And I would go with him and I would just read a book or something when I was a kid. 
And uh, my pop would talk to all of these different librarians and people. And they all said that Robert Carroll was kind of a dick, <laughs> which is funny. Carroll apparently was a um, taskmaster type, you know, do this, do this, do this. He wanted people to serve him. So anyway, it's totally, uh, it's, it's probably office gossip. I probably shouldn't say that. But anyway, I think it's, it's good it's though. Something that happened. Yeah. yeah. But th this is Nixon talking about um, LBJ. George Christian was Johnson's well, press secretary. He perhaps remember him, and became sec press secretary for Governor Connolly, who was our head of Democrats for Nixon. We were meeting in the Oval Office, and uh, I uh, saw the morning news report, and I just happened casually to mention to George. He says, "Well, I bet you that, uh, that President Johnson is uh, going to be real pleased uh, when he finds that now they're calling me the number one bomber." George Christian said, oh, don't be too sure. He said, you know, LBJ, he never likes to be number two. So it's that awkwardness, but it's that that's probably why people think that there's this aspect of uh, LBJ killing um, JFK. Now, this one, I, I just this is what I think is important no, right no, here just... is a is a photo is a back thing about him saying something about his nuts because he's talking about pants and I, I just I I think this is important because I played um on my story one time on Instagram about a Kennedy phone conversation where the guy was like and where did he get those chairs are those all chairs I want those I mean God, is there any intolerance yeah, in that yeah, yeah. man and yeah. then he goes well sir it's a major he goes it's a major fuck up and the reason why I think that's important is even with MLK like MLK smoked cigarettes like this the debate about a person's character what i think is important is we look at these presidents and we always assume they have to be a christian family man and all this type of aspects of these stupid things that we don't need to have as a president anymore rather than looking at the job and if they're going to be fit for the job and i go i want that realness i'm tired of this superman bullshit because when it comes out to be exposed that they're not this superman clear-cut individual we get shocked and we're like taking step we got to move past that so this phone call right here where he's like Listen. Hello. Hello. Now, the pockets, when you sit down in a chair, the knife and your money comes out. So I needed at least another inch in the pockets. Yeah. Now, another thing, the crotch down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. So when you make them up, give me an inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. It's just like riding a, a wire fence. These are almost these are the best that I've had anywhere in the United States. But uh, uh, when I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So leave me. Uh, you never do have much margin there. But see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper ends uh, round uh, under my back to my bunghole. So I can let it out there if I need to. So I, I played that. And what I think is important is not only does that verify the aspect of him showing his balls around to other people and all the people that said that, but it also just shows you how, I mean, not just bowstring, but disgusting 
a lot of that is. And I'm just like, so, I mean, when we have this idea of our politicians and they're these great speakers and all this, I think that's true in some aspects, but I also want to tell people there's a professional side of individuals and then there's a private side of individuals. And the private side of individuals is also linked in with, you know, a lot of this way that they act when they're in office. So when people expect that they're going to be statesmanlike and behind closed doors, no. And I think that's very important because as much as we get shocked by the truth about conspiracies and when things start to become true, they get sh they'll get shocked over something as small as a truth about a person's character or about a person who was. When I watch a video, and before I even spoke to Posner, I watched a video of Lee Harvey Oswald with his kids at Christmas. And when you look at that, you're like, how could anybody paint this dude out to be some type of mentally unstable, crazy terrorist type communist person? And I think, you know, we need that kind of information. And it's not what we're told. We're told a story. Yeah. And when we're looking at these things, it's it's important to remember that, um, that like the individual video we just watched, um, those are aspects of character. They're not the whole story, uh, both for Lee Harvey Oswald and for somebody like Richard Nixon. I mean, it's, you know, now Nixon and I've, said this before, and I tell people this all the time, I mean, the great thing about Richard Nixon is if you want to understand how politics works, all you have to do is read the transcripts of the Nixon White House tapes, um, because that will tell you everything you want to know, because they were very frank. Uh, his conversations with Ehrlichman and, and Haldeman, I mean, they're, they're circumspect when it comes to like the Kennedy assassination, he's calling it the Bay Pigs thing. But man, there is so much like a raw criminality in those pages that you, it, I think it cures, it will cure you of thinking that our statesmen are, you know, heroes in any sense. They're not, they're human beings. They do human stuff. Did you want to promote your book one more time before we sure. start wrapping up? I appreciate the time yeah. you gave me again, Joe. I appreciate you having me on, man. And I get to show my book because I actually have one. Um, for people who know my work, uh, this should be pretty familiar. I have um, made an effort to make the book a little more friendly to people who are just coming into this thing and, and are reading it as an introductory example um, because my books tend to be kind of dense. So I'm, I'm, I'm changing that. Uh, this book is not nearly as dense, but I think there's a lot of information in it that people can use. And importantly, I want people to take what's in the book and use that to help them decipher what the hell's going on in the news. Um, you know, I have a thing at the very, there's an appendix at the back. I forgot what title I gave it, but it was something like uh, 26 rules for detecting propaganda. And, uh, and I think if you just look at that, you can get some value out of the book simply by, by looking at these things, because there are so many things that we just accept at face value that simply aren't true. And if you've gone your whole life accepting these things as face value, then that leads you to make all of these other judgments, which are based on the original faulty premise. And so you never get anywhere. And it's the way it's why people react with shock when you tell them details that they never heard before. Website, Twitter. Oh, yes. Uh, Joe Green, JFK, Twitter. Who the hell knows what's going to happen with Twitter? But for now, uh, it's Joe Green, JFK on Twitter. Uh, you know, uh, as long as it lasts, I guess. But those are the, but Joe Green, JFK is the way to get to me. I'm going to link all your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting. And thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the